Hi, and welcome to the Design Systems Podcast, the place where design and development overlap. Brought to you by Knapsack. Check us out at knapsack.cloud. Hey, today I'm talking with Leonardo De La Rocha. Uh, Leonardo is the director of the Intuit Design System. Welcome to the program. Glad to have you. Hey, so happy to be here. Thank you, Chris. So we're going to be talking today about kind of the structure of your design system team, how you've built that team, and what really the team side of it looks like, and, and how that culture is also spread through this really unique and interesting governance model you have. And going to also kind of try to talk that into uh, some of the pre-show conversation we're having around diversity and communities and how we support that diversity through design thinking. Really excited to have you on. It's honestly, this has been a long time coming. Our, our initial conversations about the podcast were super exciting. So I'm glad to have you here. Yeah, uh, thanks. And and yeah, this just, I think due to COVID and, and all of the coordination extras that are necessary, it took a while to get here, but really happy to finally share our story and give you a little bit of insight into how the design system is nuanced at a you know really large multi-product company like Intuit. Yeah, so I think that the most interesting part of this whole thing is you guys have a extremely federated approach, I would say, to the way you think about your design system. So talk to me a little bit about that. Like, how does this team structure work to build this system that supports how many products? Like a couple dozen? Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, we have at least four Cornerstone brand massive products and then a bunch of, you know, uh, services that roll up into them. So it is a, a pretty massive product landscape that we deal with. And you're right, we're federated in the sense that we have one design system that is IDS, um, sort of into a design system, but we have multiple themes and uh, design system teams that support those themes scattered across the entire platform. Yeah, so the way that that takes form for you guys is a central system, but then you sort of give a lot of that ownership of that system to that individual product team. Talk a little bit about what that looks like. Yeah, that's right. And and that's a really intentional thing that we do. Uh, you know, we feel strongly that the best design systems and, and certainly IDS is at its best when you have real representation of the product use cases. Um, oftentimes at large companies, you'll have a centralized design system or design system team, and you lose some of the nuance and the details that um, come from the, the customer's needs. So by making sure that we have representation from within what we call the BUs, the business units, um, always hyper-focused on what the customer needs are and then bringing that information, those use cases, those needs into the central IDS uh, mechanism, we're able to service our customers at a really healthy way. Yeah, so why did you think about the structure in that more like federated sense versus the, I guess, I don't know if it's traditional at this point or not, uh, the more centralized model where there is that sort of tight control over that central team? Yeah, I think for one, it makes ratification and actually shipping shared experiences a lot easier, right? So if you have multiple uh, design systems and we call them embedded designers, they're, they're funded by my organization, but they live, they actually live within the business unit. Uh, you're able to kind of secure the sense of like our customers are being thought of, our customers are being cared about. And so there's a lot of trust established when that embedded designer comes to the, the broader team setting and says, hey, here's what we need to solve for in QuickBooks, for example. They educate the broader design system team on that use case. We're able to poke and probe and make sure that it, it we can solve for it. Then when they go back to their QuickBooks team and say, hey, we've solved for this at IDS, here's what it looks like, that knowledge um, coming from the QuickBooks team is embedded. So you don't get a lot of pushback in, with with the way that we're set up. We, we have very senior design systems players solving these things. And when they go back to their team to show the solution or where we landed, it always just goes over a little more smoothly. 
Gotcha. So from a practical standpoint, like taking your QuickBooks example, so QuickBooks starts with IDS and then they have their own particular customer needs. And those customer needs are owned by that that QuickBooks team. But there is somebody from that central design system team. And, and what I mean, like by by from there, meaning being funded from there, that is actually embedded with that QuickBooks team on a day to day basis, helping them implement, use and then sharing that knowledge from the design system. Yeah, that's right. And just to give you maybe a concrete example of how that works in real life, we might have some like a selection box that is used a certain way in TurboTax. And that's in our CG group, our consumer group. And then that same uh, component might be used slightly differently in um, QuickBooks. When there's that intentional divergence, those two folks who really didn't have any reason to talk before are now able to connect through IDS and say, well, why is this different? Why does this need to look and feel or function any differently? And most of the time, those two very seasoned, knowledgeable designers will actually get to one pattern or one solution or one shared component. So that's the other kind of special thing about being federated is you're bringing expertise from different parts of the ecosystem, but you're allowing for more alignment um, when it's appropriate uh, by bringing those teams together. So yes, sometimes things do have to stay nuanced and they have to be specific for a use case. And that, that happens often, but in the instances where they look at the same pattern and they're able to get to a sort of convergence on things is where we see a lot of magic and where we see a lot of advancement because then you're removing code debt, you're removing design debt, and you're actually streamlining the amount of places and things designers have to look at to solve. Yeah, that's really powerful. One of the hardest parts, I guess, of adoption is that that feeling of still needing to be able to color outside the lines a little bit, right? And And that idea that like, oh, you know, hey, we have a system that's being enforced on us, like, you know, we have to to work within the confines of, of the system and nobody likes to be told like what to do. Right. And so the empowerment that you give people to modify things, but then to also have that that conversation in the context of the more global ecosystem, that seems like a powerful way of pushing back against um, resistance and also ultimately the fragmentation of your design system. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, and on top of that, Chris, there's also this um, you know, this we, we have a layered approach to ratifying or approving or getting to adoption of our components. So the BU embedded designers is kind of like the first layer of that. They're on the ground, they're assessing the use cases and they're solving amongst themselves and they actually get alignment. And we have at this point, maybe six embedded designers across our platform representing six business units. The work doesn't stop there. The, that alignment, once they are all on the same page and they work together they actually go a layer up to what we call the IDS BU leadership layer. And these are director, like creative director types and design system leaders um, at a higher level that are able to review and critique and probe and, and, and you know, try to you know, poke holes in, in the solution to get alignment. And then that layer, once it's blessed and everyone feels good about it, you don't have to go up to another layer of approval, which we used to do. We now can go up to a higher level. Our, three design VPs and basically celebrate all the work. So it's no longer, we've removed this like stigma of, all right, we've got to show it to the three VPs and let's hope they right. love it. It's like, no, we all love it. Right. We're removing a lot of that um, review need. We're going to the leaders to get a line of sight, but ultimately it's just to get, to celebrate the win, to celebrate what we solve for. So that the governance is is almost more natural in that sense where we're not dictating top down what things need to look like. 
or working on it together across the platform as a team and then taking it up to celebrate it at the end. I also love that. I, I think that there's so much <laughs> stress and stigma about the the creative review process with that that VP level stakeholder where oftentimes and and I'm sure that there's the, the odd design VP that listens to this podcast, but oftentimes that VP is just in that room to like assert authority and and not really to respect the the hard work that has gone on lower down in that process. And, you know, that participatory action of, hey, we as as practitioners and as experts have come together, gotten alignment, decided what the right design pattern here is to do. Now we're doing this is we're bringing this to our leadership to show off that amazing work and then to celebrate that together as this triumph for the furthering of a design methodology and thinking inside of the organization. Yeah. And it's really to celebrate a triumph for the platform. Like one of the things that Intuit is really keen on is moving our customers from one product to the next as frictionless as possible, like with minimal relearning. Like we, So we shouldn't have uh, new icons that mean the same thing in, in right. different product feeds. So when, you, when you're able to go up and, and celebrate that, you're basically giving these VPs the ammunition to go to even higher, like our CEO and saying, look, look how unified our product is. And we're, we're not doing this tops down. It's all organic. It's all natural. It's all grassroots. Like there's something really healthy about that. And I love empowering our leaders to be able to go to even higher up product leadership to say, this is how we've solved it. Yeah. So, I mean, you guys have folks at that C-level and VP level that are, are very intimately aware of the design system and how it's used. Yeah. And and this is, I've got to give credit to uh, my boss and he's the, the senior vice president of design at Intuit, Kurt Wilecki. He's created a sense of uh, a single design organization with Sasan, our CEO. Um, and we're not a centralized design team. We're, you know, we have a design leader, a, a VP in each of our three major segments. But we, for the first time last month, we basically showed Sasan, our CEO, an end-to-end view of our ecosystem, including the design system portion and including like a really clear view of what all of our shared experiences are. That's awesome. I think that, you know, you hear a lot about design having a seat at the table when it comes to strategic decision-making inside of the company. Having the CEO be aware of the design ecosystem and landscape at a company like Intuit, I think that presents it as a competitive strength. Like the idea that strategically design is a part of your product strategy seems like a very powerful message. It is. And I I think it's next level into it. I feel most companies I've worked at and I've worked at two very large companies prior to Intuit. um, You know, we, we often talked about design having a seat at the table. It's just kind of table stakes, if you will, for Silicon Valley. But at Intuit, to be able to share and talk about and let leaders probe and ask questions and even get educated on design systems and reusable components and and topics like design tokens is pretty rad. So I agree with you. It's a I think it's a competitive advantage for a company like Intuit. It's you know we're we're the incumbents. We're thirty years old. We're, we've been around a long time, but that ability where everyone sees design and talks about it the same way is what is allowing us to kind of stay ahead of the startups who you know could be faster could, might have. Um, younger, more vibrant teams, but um, we're able to stay ahead of that just because of that, you know, transparency with with what design is, what product is, what engineering is, and how they all fit together. You know, when it comes to to the way you guys think about that design leadership, that design presence in an organization, and, and design is that advantage over those those young upstart whippersnapper startup companies. 
um, you know, when you think about uh, the name of this ecosystem or, or how you call it, is there a model you guys have devised for this that is pretty universal then? And, and that's kind of the framework that exists for this. I'm trying to think about something that our listeners could go see or read or learn about that could help them adopt a similar sense of thinking inside of their organization. Yeah, well, there's there's layers to it, but I think foundationally we subscribe and we've created our, our version of fixed and flexible just so that everyone at the company kind of understands, you know, what to play with more frequently and what to kind of be hands off in and trust that it's been solved for. And we, we call that framework durable and adaptable. And um, there is a medium write up that kind of gives a high level of what of why we chose durable and adaptable over fixed and flexible. But um, one of the things that that I like to call out is fixed has always kind of rubbed me the wrong way, especially in a, in a startup environment or any tech environment. Fixed is basically telling your designers, don't mess with this, like just leave it alone. Mm-hmm. But if you say it's durable, you're hinting that, yeah, we don't change it often, but we change it, absolutely. And so by saying we have a set of durable components or durable design token values, we're signaling out to the design community like, yes, everything should be iterated on. It's just in a different cadence or in a different with a different process. And that leads to the second layer of, of what we've created at Intuit, and that is uh, an IDS um, approval framework. We've created a, a culture where anyone at the company, if you're working on something that you think might be reused across more than one product, um, take it through IDS. And we've gotten that top-down support to, to make sure that if you're working on an ecosystem solution, it comes through the IDS process. So anybody, no matter who they are inside of the organization, can push something into that IDS process and make a contribution. That's exactly right. And it goes for things at a foundational level, like invisible to the end user customer, like the shape and radius and elevation of a card. Um, that is a durable component. Those are durable uh, attribute values. But if you're a hot shit designer, you just got hired at Mint and you've redesigned this beautiful new amorphic card, we want that, but we want mm-hmm. that for the entire platform. So the IDS process makes it easy for even those nudges on durable components and durable elements to come through and get ratified in a healthy way. So we've talked about this a little bit on on the podcast before, but one of the things that I view is, is a big untapped value of design systems is that innovation sharing. Most of the time when we we talk about design systems, in the same breath, we're talking about maintainability and accessibility and um, you know the ability to to govern and control a change. But I think in that last bit, in that governance model of controlling a change, you're not just talking about the the change you want to make. You're talking about sharing and spreading the innovation that you're you're creating in one group. So you know something goes and happens on Mint that is really valuable and powerful. You want to bring that to your other products in your ecosystem in that same way. You don't want that to just live on Mint. That's right. Yeah, and and I think one of the one of the beauties of the way that we're set up in that governance where we have BU embedded designers and a IDS BU leadership layer, when that new hotness is introduced on in one product suite and it's brought up through IDS because we want it to be shared. We have this built-in reinforcement with the IDSBU leaders where they're saying they can then go back out to their segment or their business unit and say, hey, look at this new awesome thing. Here's how it can benefit us. Let's talk about how we can get this adopted into your product. And so there's this built-in layer of kind of advocacy um, at the leadership layer, not at the designer layer, 
so that you can actually move faster with authority and getting these things implemented. Right. So it's all about removing friction and, and improving the communication in that process instead of being a, a hurdle or a gate. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, that's awesome. I think that that gives you guys just this really cool ecosystem. It's funny. It reminds me a lot of open source communities I've been a part of where you sit there and you think about like, okay, so there's still control on how all this stuff changes, but there's also like not a lot of sacred cows here. There's a, a set of standards you have to meet and uh, ideology you have to, to get behind, which is, you know, well captured in your principles. But from there, anybody can make a contribution. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. And we have this really healthy saying at, at Intuit, and this is echoed by leaders. It's echoed by product managers, by engineers, and that uh, everyone contributes and everyone subscribes. And that mantra just kind of makes it very real. I was like, it's your design system. It's not a design system. It belongs to you. So yeah, contribute to it. Take from it, but also give to it and make sure that you're replenishing it when it needs to be from with your perspective and your expertise and your solutions. Yeah, y'all are kind of gardening together. I love it. So thinking about that, that kind of gardening concept, before the show, we were talking about communities and how communities are changing from, from COVID and... Um, you know, the concerns that both of us share around our own places that we live and and the changes that we face here. Um, and I think that a big part of that conversation was around diversity in, in that we want to live in diverse communities, not just in our, our professional lives, but in our personal lives as well. And one of the things you brought up that I thought was really cool was sort of Intuit's approach to design and diversity. And the thing you said that really struck me is that you know, design thinking is for everybody. Like you need to have uh, uh, an ethos that ties you to your customers and meets them where they're at instead of just always trying to move them up a funnel. And so I'm kind of curious to hear, you know, how that plays out for you in your job. Yeah, that's a great question. I think design systems in general are a great way to facilitate moving people around any ecosystem with less friction, right? Because you're providing reusable elements. You're minimizing how much needs to be relearned or learned from scratch. Um, and you're creating this like really familial and familiar sense as you're going through, as you're traversing from one product to the next, or even one platform to the next, because that happens a lot with our customers. Like they're on desktop to do their taxes, but then they're going to their, you know, handheld device to check up on Mint. So the way this hits close to home for me at work is the our design system and, and the way that we work allows even the the ideas that might be specific to a consumer, like in Mint, get reused and get evaluated for use in other products for, let's say, a small business or, or a self-employed person, a gig worker. And there's this sense of like democratizing access to financial knowledge and financial growth and understanding how to build sustained wealth at every level. And so we, we're no longer going to have, I think the future for Intuit is we're no longer going to have a single product that helps you build sustainable wealth or helps you save money smarter or helps you pay down debt. It's going to be the entire ecosystem that's helping our customers do that in different ways, you know, from a small business lens or from a consumer lens. And the, the design system to kind of bring it back to it is with the shared experiences and the shared knowledge and the components is what's going to allow our products to kind of feel more familial and tie together when necessary. It's really interesting because you, know, you brought up gig workers and, and the new economy. I mean, we are, especially because of COVID, been thrust into this new economic order, right? And, and I was telling you, like, most of my friends are chefs and bartenders because uh, I live in Portland and there's a lot of chefs and bartenders. And a lot of those people have not had a job for more than a year. And so thinking about how you reach those people in the same way that you would reach a tech worker in San Jose or 
uh, the CEO of a software startup um, in Portland. You know, I love the idea of having an ecosystem that kind of works for everybody and using a product model to support that diversity of thought around, you know, hey, wealth management tools aren't just for like you and I, they're kind of for everybody inside of this this ecosystem. Yeah, that's right. And, and different customers need it at different times. And I feel like a powerful design system, like the one that we're trying to build at Intuit, is going to be able to pick up signal uh, if you're a gig worker and you're doing your taxes in that moment of understanding that they might be struggling or they might owe too much um, in back taxes or, or maybe they haven't been managing their money to pull in pieces from Mint or from Credit Karma to help them get better and to teach them and educate. Um, that's the magic of it. That's what I'm really excited about. So when you think about how you actually go from this kind of, you know, distributed, federated, open sourcey sort of model, and you wind through that decision pathway, I want to understand how this is enabling and empowering at kind of every step in that decision-making process. So where does it start? Maybe that's a great place to, to begin. Yeah, I think that'd be a really cool thing to share just because it's it's pretty unique. And I, I don't think that I've worked this way uh, at any other company, but the, the decision space kind of looks like this, where you'll you'll have something that we know needs to be shared across the platform, a component or, or a pattern of any kind. And we'll actually get our embedded designers, our, our IDSBU embedded designers to come together to look at that problem together so that you're bringing in these nuanced perspectives from each of the business units obviously echoing each of the customer needs um, to make sure that you're landing on a solid perspective of, of solution for this one component. And they do all the hard work. They're going out and stress testing against the different products. They're doing the placements in, in the flows to make sure that it gels well. And then that BU Embedded Designer layer brings it up to a council, the, the council I mentioned called the IDSBU Leadership Layer. So who's on that council? Yeah, great question. It's um, it's a collection of you know senior managers and design managers and directors from, again, each of the business units. So usually it might be a, in two cases, it's design systems managers for QuickBooks and for RCG group, um, consumer group. And then in other cases, it's um, different segments, like our virtual expert platform is represented in that mix. And Mint has a specific representation in that mix. But these are design leaders who are used to doing design crits but they're also really good at critiquing with an ecosystem mindset. So we're very thoughtfully pulling together folks with that systems thinking ability, ecosystem lens on things to basically review and approve the work that the BU embedded designers have been doing. Awesome. So you go from that, that BU layer to this leadership layer. And then once that leadership layer effectively says, yeah, this is awesome. How does that change then get committed into the design system? Like, like, you know, at this point, it's still a, a, a draft or, or a unsubmitted change or something like that. What does it actually look like to get it into the system? Well, by the time that they're that the BU leadership layer approves it, let's say, or, or gets alignment with the BU embedded designers, um, that's where the buck stops. Like it's done. It's basically finished, approved, stress tested, and everyone feels good about it. But it still does go to a session that we call IDR, the Intuit Design Review. And it's essentially our three design VPs. And we go to them to show them the work. We start from scratch showing, here's the problem, here's the data, here's how we iterated, here's how we got to the solution, here's what the BU leader said, and here's what we changed about it. But now we want to show you the done awesome thing, and we show it in action. And they basically have an opportunity to push back and challenge. They usually don't because of all the great work that's already been done. And it turns into a celebration. So IDRs are more 
of a celebration of the work that's happened, but it does ratify it. And from there, those VPs actually support us by going to their product and engineering counterparts within their BUs to say, this is done. Here's the timeline proposed. Please get it into your roadmaps. And that's an awesome thing that that's built into the way we work because it guarantees implementation from a very senior level perspective. That's interesting that that last step is literally like roadmap this. I think that that's a, a pretty remarkable way of pushing that adoption. And so the intent for that roadmapping conversation is to continue to have all of the products in the ecosystem remain aligned to IDS. That's exactly right. That's awesome. Well, hey, this has been a great conversation. Thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us. Really love the work you're doing. Really love the thinking. And uh, yeah, would love to, to chat again and, and learn more about how things are going. Absolutely. Yeah, IDS continues to evolve and we're going to kind of keep trying new things and, and inventing new ways of making design systems awesome. So we'd love to come back and share more insight with you and, and all the listeners and how we're getting there. That's all for today. This has been another episode of the Design Systems Podcast. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or a topic you'd like to know more about, find us on Twitter at the DSPod. We'd love to hear from you with show ideas, recommendations, questions, or comments. As always, this pod is brought to you by Knapsack. You can check us out at knapsack.cloud. Have a great day.